0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week we are discussing the challenge for China, and that is the relocation of many, many manufacturing businesses to other parts of the world. What does it mean for China? Where's the opportunity for you? And how can you bank some profit? All covered in this podcast. Make sure you take plenty of notes, and as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money & Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Always a pleasure to be here. Good to see you, buddy. You're looking well. Thank you very much. You
1: too. Looks like you've been working out a bit. Keeping it tight. Speaking of which, we talk about new workout routines. Let's talk about New World Order. Mm. Uh, that may seem a little bit dramatic for today's topic of conversation, but specifically,
0: I want to talk about China. It's been a bit of a shift there. That's right. New order is uh, is, is very much uh, very much the uh, topic of conversation across markets right now. And, you know, I think, uh, as you reflect, and always think you, we talk about trading and we do trade postmortems and looking back over your trading, You, know, as an economist, you look through the different phases that we've been through. And as the world has come out of the lockdown environment that we obviously have for a couple of years, um, there are some definitive moves that are going on. Obviously, geopolitically, you know, with what we're seeing around the world in the Ukraine and also, you know, to an extent in China with the the, the sabre rattling around Taiwan. But also some of the underlying issues that really impacted on the bottom line for companies have sort of come into the foreground and are being addressed. And that's really what this is all about. When it comes to money and investing, anything that impacts on the bottom line is something that deserves a level of scrutiny. So let's see what we can do as far as this is concerned with China.
1: All right, giddy up, I'm excited, AB. So. Let's think about the last 15 years of China, insatiable growth, been in a, an absolute monster.
0: It has. I mean, you know, the Chinese economy um, has gone through, no question about it, its own industrial revolution where you've had a, I don't think it's a word, but a de uh of the population where you've gone from having the majority of your people working in agriculture and primary production uh, through into manufacturing. And, you know, that 15-year period has seen, you know, the Chinese economy growing at you know, a, a, a blood curdling rate, you know, from 9%, 10% on occasions, year on year on year for, 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 you know, a couple of decades now. And it's seen China, you know, get itself front and centre as, you know, the world's number two economy on, on the basis of size. And a lot of that has been, you know, predicated and built upon, you know, incredibly cheap labour, uh, which is usually the foundational bedrock for manufacturing. And also, I guess, you know, the uh, the currency which has been managed at a level, let's use that term, uh, maybe an artificially low level, making it price competitive, and, and its desire to take on tasks you know, that a lot of the rest of the world doesn't want to do. A good example of that, of course, would be lithium uh, refining, which is you know, it's not the most environmentally sound. And by virtue um I guess, of China sort of being classified, still being classified as a developing country. It's not been uh, under as strict uh, uh, scrutiny from a, uh, you know from an emissions perspective and all those different things, which has given it a tremendous competitive edge uh, in global markets. So it's become you know, the world's manufacturing space, rather like uh, you know, made in Hong Kong. Uh, if you go back to the sort of late 70s and early 80s was the case. The challenge with Hong Kong is it's a very small place and it's not really going to become that big a manufacturing center, but China with its vastness of resources is, is very much being so is that is that
1: over? Because we've actually seen a shift. A lot of a lot of U.S. based companies have actually left China in terms of their
0: manufacturing. Yeah. Right. There is a shift underway. There's no question about that. And well, I guess we'll get into the, the motivation for doing that and what the benefits and and what the costs are to that too. Um, but if you if you look sort of at the history uh, of economics and economics is really interesting in. Well, I don't know if it's really interesting, but as a, as a, as a science, science or a social it science, um, you know, it's relatively new. Um, uh, you know, It's only sort of a couple hundred years old in terms of it being a, an area of study. And if you look back through history, most current companies go through this phase where originally they're an agricultural subsistence farming type, and then there's a development of resources and manufacturing on the back of it and probably the the best example of that would be the uk where you know you had the industrial revolution and manufacturing was very much you know the uk was the manufacturing hub of the world, even the small town where I'm from, Swindon in the UK was, you know, it's where trains were manufactured for the entire Commonwealth. So it's a huge, huge manufacturing hub, lots of raw materials, lots of coal, uh, lots of cheap labour that had come off the land um, to, to work in factories. My dad was grew up on a farm, but went into factory work in the in the, in the the 50s and 60s. So that was very much, you know, what the UK did. But by the 1970s, um, given developments in the labour market and the cost of wages, and in the UK, that was probably, you know, pushed along quite considerably by some, um, you know, left-wing politics as well, it started to become less cost competitive to manufacture in the UK and you'd look for other places that perhaps were more reliable. Again, I go back to, you know, history leaves clues. You know, industrial action in the UK meant that it wasn't the most reliable place to get your stuff manufactured and wages were going up. So off things then went, as I say, to, you know, the likes of, uh, the other the Far East and then subsequent to that, we've seen it then move into, into China. And then the backfill, you've gone from agriculture into um, primary uh, resource uh, generation and mining, into manufacturing, then into services, which is really what the UK's economy is largely based around now. So we may well see that for China as it moves further along that evolution pathway, um, and, and and there are consequences for that too. Um, you know, for many many companies looking at the impact of pandemic. China's continued policy of wanting a lockdown to have a, a zero infection rate effectively in its, in its country has meant that the reliability of manufacturing and, and, and the ability to get components has been compromised. So you've got great cheap labor, but that ability to get those components, the things that you need to finish your goods to then be able to sell them to market, um, has been compromised. Add to that things like the Suez Canal and and general transportation ports being shut down and so on and so forth. Um, It's called, uh, a lot of companies to really call into question their just-in-time management process where instead of having large stockpiles of components you almost make to order, it gets shipped to you a couple of days before you need it, it gets put in the goods, and you don't tie up too much of your working capital in space. Parts and components and so on. This is the theory behind it. Sure. And 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 given you know the post-pandemic world and and, and with the lockdown still still happening in China, it's called into question whether that's a valid strategy. So the net impact of that, you know, and I think Samsung were probably one of the early movers on this way back in I think you know nineteen um, you know probably two thousand and nineteen, so three years ago, sure. had already started on this process. And we've seen yeah you know, Microsoft did the same thing now, and Apple is probably the the best example, the easiest one to use where you know, your earbuds are now being manufactured uh, in Vietnam, the phones are now being manufactured in China, uh, I beg your pardon in India, whereas prior to this that it was all being manufactured in China. And it's been moved uh, across those other countries, uh, potentially because it's a more reliable source of, of of componentry that doesn't affect the supply chain for the company. So if you're a company
1: looking to, or you were looking to produce or manufacture, excuse me, in China, what are the what are the real risks
0: that you'd be weighing up right now? It, 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 the, the big risks, I guess, are, are, are government policy, number one. Um, I guess there's also a risk of commercial espionage to an extent, and that, that wouldn't be my view. I think more with, say, the US policy of limiting investment in tech, for example, and particularly sensitive technology uh, in China, points to the fact that there is a concern that there could be copybook type product development on the back of IP from other places. Um, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, you know, that's where the, where the, where the policy kind of see, seems to sit. So they're two pretty big risks. And I guess you've just got that unpredictability. If there's a further lockdown uh, on the on the back of, you know, health policy, then that could really, you know, negatively impact on your business if you get you know a primary component from that space so they're all very valid supply chain risks for those companies so by moving somewhere that there's maybe a more reliable source of that that that's starting to happen the flip side and particularly as we're in earnings season where we're we're looking at you know companies under you know, a fair amount of pressure in terms of earnings growth or slowing earnings where you've got higher labor costs, you've got higher energy costs, um, you've got a very strong U.S. dollar, which isn't great for U.S. exports. Um, yeah, you know, you know, a 21 and a bit percent move in the U.S. dollar this year will take about 10 and a half percent off earnings across the S&P companies, just to put a, a, a sort of quantum on that. Um, you know, th- th- there is a bit of pressure there. And now if you're moving your manufacturing center from a low cost to a slightly Less low cost. It's not expensive, but it's not cheap anymore. Sure. It's a, I don't think the grammar is quite correct on that, but it's a less low cost environment to, <laughs> to grow in. The trade-off being you've got a more reliable source um, of, of, of production is, is where those companies are going. So they, they, they'll wear that in their earnings. But the flip side is you've probably got a more reliable supply chain.
1: So if you're if you're China right now, what would you be changing or needing to do to keep those companies manufacturing in China?
0: Well, I think China's got a lot on its plate with its own domestic economy right now. I mean, we've got a property market which, to all intents and purposes, is imploding. Weak, and, and, it, and it stands to reason given how much it's grown. Nothing, nothing lasts forever, uh, you know. And you've had a, just such a, a, an unbelievably strong move in that property market there. Um, and, and this is all predicated on extremely low and currently falling interest rates, which is uh, only country uh, I know that is actually lowering interest rates, yeah. and the rest of the world's putting them up weird. And, th- and this is an attempt to, to obviously prop up its own banking and and, and and property sector, or at least it looks that way. Um, so you know, China's got a lot on its plate with its own domestic economy to prevent you know, a major implosion of its property sector, which would then implode its financial sector too, which then cascades through the broader economy. So it's got, it's got its plate pretty full. So seeing, seeing some companies manufacture stuff outside of China would probably irritate and almost certainly won't be forgotten. Um, but is it a major priority right now? I suspect probably not. They're, they're, they've got their own fish to fry.
1: So if we look at some more recent examples you spoke of before we went on, on, on air about Dr. Horton, for example, I think it was, who have actually exited China with their
0: manufacturing. Uh, no, yeah, the, 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 like it, it, it's broad-based. We talked about a couple of tech companies, um, probably the, the, about as blue blood, boy well, you don't bleed blue, you bleed green if you're a John Deere. Uh, that, that's a farming joke, so anyone that's in the farming community will know what I'm talking about there. Um, John Deere have just relocated their manufacturing from China for their headers, their combine harvesters. All intents and purposes down into Louisiana. Uh, and one of the issues for them in doing that, their labor cost about 47 grand a year on a production line, which is you know, relatively high for a US production line type job. But I guess what it means is that you've got this continuous reliable supply of componentry and product that you can then sell. So the cost base moving higher is offset by your sales revenue moving up. Also John Deere as an organization, um, you know, you find this is like this is just one of the most divisive conversations in farming community as to you know the the that where you get your stuff from you know you've got a Massey Ferguson or a Kubota or a Mahindra or a John Deere tractor uh, for anyone in that space and there's a huge brand loyalty because of the servicing component that comes with it John Deere being American uh, is, is true apple pie America and the fact that they've relocated their manufacturing I think is is a brilliant PR move for the company in the first instance but I think it it plants a big flag for the US in believing that it can be a manufacturer again. And I think it's going to be the first of many that you see. Um, and, I mean, it's it's not a huge amount of jobs. It's like 1,200 jobs or something like that. So it's, it's not significant to any great extent, but it's way more significant than the statistics shows because the rationale and the reasoning behind it uh, is pure and true. Absolutely. It's interesting when you when you really think about it like that. And I guess the, the, the big question
1: for today, AB, this is the money and investing mm. show after all, Within all of this, where does the investment opportunity lie? (laughs)
0: We'll get the chocolate wheel out for that one, shall we? come on. I've I've got a wild card theory on that, which I've sort of been tabling for a a couple of months and I've been ruminating on this. Can Um, we have it today? Yeah, I think we can have it today. Um, The biggest issues for the globe is moving stuff around and we saw that with the Suez Canal. When that went down, yeah, it wreaked havoc, which actually still hasn't completely played out. There's Not, still backlogs yeah. in some instances of, of, of things. Um, so removing the requirement to ship stuff would be fantastic from a manufacturing perspective because it removes a variable that can be impacted by weather and other factors. So something doesn't require shipping by sea is good. Secondly is that stability uh, of workforce and government where the goalposts don't move in terms of government policy too much. Now, if we look at the US economy per se, um, for the US manufacturing in the US, uh, we've talked about John Deere and BMW actually moved one of their plants from Mexico to Canada some time back, and more and more companies are, 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 are bringing money back. There's billions going into building factories. But within that complex of North America, so if we take Canada, and we take the US and then take Mexico, they're all party to what's called the NAFTA, which is a North American Free Trade Agreement. So there are an extremely compelling trade relationships between those three countries. And it makes sense given the level of borders or, or lack of border in the case of the South, um, but nonetheless, you know, economic borders, uh, if we can call them that. And so if you're a US manufacturer and you've got the opportunity to keep something closer to home where you don't need to ship it over this, overseas, you can put it on road or rail, I think Mexico is my wild card here. Ooh, you've, got okay. a, you've got a significant workforce, which is a cheap workforce to employ on an hourly basis. Um, you've got no trade tariffs, you've got already pre-existing and fairly inflexible, in, in a good way, as so far as the goalposts aren't moving, um, you have trade relations through NAFTA, and you're in the same time zone. Um, are all very, very compelling uh, reasons for manufacturers to perhaps start looking at Mexico as the go-to lower level manufacturing. I'm not talking about like high-end aerospace and telecommunication type stuff yet. That will come. But that movement into that um, basic manufacturing and then value-add manufacturing and then automobile manufacturing and then gradually up the pipeline until you get into like tech manufacturing is a very, very real prospect. And. Yeah, as a wildcard. And there are a couple of ETFs that are that are in the- My next uh, question, you beat me uh, to it. Yeah, so there are a couple of ETFs, exchange-traded funds to look at uh, in Mexico. MEXX is one of them. There's a couple of others that I'll probably run through for those people that subscribe to our ETF service. That These aren't quick, in you go, out you go, here's some money. Th- this is a more long-term strategic move as perhaps the Mexican economy starts to move. Again, you, you talk about the, the movement off the land into manufacturing. You know, Mexico is also- a decent primary producer of agricultural goods, you start to see that migration through from working on the land to working in the factory. Uh, and all the way through. And I reckon it'll be really interesting to see over the next five to 10 years. That's a big way, For me, that's a massive time frame. I find it hard to talk about investing. You might not make frame. it past that time. Oh, come on, mate. You, you got five kids. you got stress. Yeah, nah, under control. I've got a great <laughs> wife that handles all of that. Um, but I, I think it'd be very, very interesting to see over the next five to 10 years how Mexico and the US respond to this movement, um, perhaps away from China, which may become a permanent thing. Uh, Maybe it's only temporary, maybe it's permanent. If it becomes permanent, then I think it plays perfectly into the hand of of the Mexican economy. Uh, And uh, and I think there'll be some wonderful money-making opportunities to make. And heaven knows, you know, we're going through a lot of market turmoil right now, and sometimes looking for the needle in the haystack, whether that be, you know, a stock that's likely to, and I'll I'll talk about a couple of examples in a moment, actually, if you remind me. a stock that may be an outlier that performs differently to the market or a country, an emerging market that performs outside of what the globe is doing, is where there's some great coin to be made. And I love special situations investing. It it stimulates me intellectually when you find it and you're able to capitalize on it and, and Gee, their bell ringers when they come in. So they, you, you you can't build an entire investment strategy on special situations. But if you've identified something, and 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 you, you get a decent crack at it, you can make some make some really good money with that.
1: Uh, and know how well you've done this year mm-hmm. in particular. So. If we talk, I'll give you a couple of companies as an example. Yes, please. That's your yeah, reminder, please. So
0: one of the things that we've talked about is the disruption in supply chain um, because of you know, distribution and, and, and shutdowns and things like that. What that's resulted in for certain companies and certain sectors is now you've got an inventory, an amount of stock, that's growing faster than sales. So I'll give you an example. Skoda, uh, which I think are part of Volkswagen Group now, I think, the car manufacturer. yeah, maybe. Um, so they had i think it was like a hundred thousand or maybe it was a million finished cars sitting on the dock except for they weren't finished they were waiting for a component so they've continued on with their manufacturing building the car waiting for the chip now the chips in they've got this huge inventory of cars to now better push through to markets and yep yeah, they probably have pre-sales on those so they'll be gone a different order that might be yeah, you know, if you've been in this situation where you've been starved of being able to get the parts you need for your business and then all of a sudden things open up so you order more than what you need. And we've seen this at a grassroots level in the supermarket where Karen and friends are in their coals, you know, buying a thousand rolls of toilet roll because there won't be any God toilet roll that tomorrow. That's crazy. Um, you know, that over order, um, then causes further supply chain issues, which causes inflation and jacks up price. And, and and that's part of the reason why we've got a little bit of inflation right now. So companies have over ordered to, to try and make up for that shortfall of raw materials or goods or whatever it may be maybe that they've got. And that's now started to be fulfilled. So they're starting to build up the amount of inventory they have. And businesses don't like holding inventory for two reasons. Number one, it ties up capital. You've got a finished product that you haven't sold yet and, and you've paid for it to be built. You need to dollarize it by selling it. So large levels of inventory. And if I sort of go back to the early days in my career, retail was an area to watch a lot in terms of a sector. You know, Inventory buildup is a crucial thing in retail. When you start to see that, it's, it's carnage because you've got way more than what you want to have to sell, but you have to sell it. If you think about this in the apparel and clothing space, apparel is such a clumsy word to describe. It is clothes, weird, isn't it? Especially on air. Yeah. Um, so if you're in the clothing space, you've got all this clothes that's now come in because you're out of stock before and you've over ordered. Now you've got all this, but you know the consumer's slowed down a bit and you're finding it hard work to sell. The challenge with clothing is that it's this season. And you know you look at how fast the, the, the clothing um, industry and fashions change. you think about ZaRA every quarter, there's a whole new range and everyone's on that quarterly sort of treadmill now. that stock has to go because if you don't sell it now, it's got to go in the discount bin to get it out the door. And then if it's in the discount bin and you've got a cost conscious customer, they're probably going to buy the cheap stuff and not your current stock, which means you're going to have a further inventory build up down the line ugly situation and causes huge angst and unrest in, in in the retail space, especially in clothing. So where's the beneficiary in that? And this is where companies like Ross Stores, for example, or Dollar Tree, or the other ones... Holly's Ollie, Bargain Ollie, Hunt. Ollie's Bargain Hunt. These sort of three dollar bargain type stores. So Ross Stores buy the surplus um, from, from the department stores and then move it out at cents in the dollar. So if you've got a cost-conscious consumer, that's where they go used to be a great one called Century 21 uh in in, in New York. Oh, actually. I remember that. Yeah, they went bust unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know how you go bust. It's such a good business model, but I think they during during the pandemic they went under. Um, but have a look at the likes of Ross stores, Ollie um, you know, dollar tree. That sector, I think, is a major beneficiary because there's all of a sudden there's all this huge inventory and supply that's sitting there that's got to be pushed out the door. Their buying power means that they can buy even cheaper and move it on to a cost-conscious consumer. So this notion of managing your supply chain can, can have vast reaching implications, whether it's a movement out of a country into another locale that doesn't have water between it and its main market, maybe more sympathetic regulations and tariffs, uh, and a very ready, cheap workforce. But don't forget, of course, China's workforce has become more expensive as it's become uh, a, a more um, urbanized economy. So now it's not necessarily the cheap place that it was. It's still cheap, but not as cheap as it was. So that switch cost to someone like Mexico may just prove to be the move. In just the same way, look for countries, uh, sorry, companies that have got that buildup of of inventory in just the same way, where they've had supply chain issues, and you know if you think about you know, just at random, if you take say Foot Locker or or um, Abercrombie Fitch or or any of those sort of mass market um, places you find in the in the shopping mall, if they've got big uh, big uh, backlogs of inventory they have to move it through the door. And if their sales are slowing down on the back of slowing consumer spending, then look out for the opportunity, not just their price falling, but the rising star of the discount resellers, because they will make a killing in this market. And oftentimes people sort of, oh, it's a bit of a grotty business. Where there's muck, there's brass, very famous Yorkshire expression. So where there's mud or something that doesn't look tidy, there's a lot of money to make. Where there's muck, there's brass. And I think the likes of Ross Stores and Dollar Tree and whatnot have got the potential to have a ripper of a run in this market too. It's really high level stuff.
1: And listening to that, I'm amazed, David, just the levels of analysis that one leads to the other, the way you connect those dots is awesome. Unashamed plug, fundamental analysis, what we teach through Australian investment education to do exactly that.
0: That's right. And, you know, everybody looks only some people see. And and the whole purpose of what we do here on money investing each week is to try and provide in a bite sized chunk, maybe a bit of a bigger bite this week, uh, but, but in a bite sized chunk another piece in the puzzle so that people can start to understand what's going on out there. And just because the news you may see is clouded with a little bit of a negative tinge, Markets are a zero-sum game. Whenever there's a negative somewhere, there's a positive somewhere else, so you get that equilibrium. If we're talking about a negative over China, where's the positive? It could be Mexico. If we're talking about a negative for companies that have got a large amount of stock held in the warehouse, where's the positive? It's in the discount retailer that'll be pushing it out the door at the end of the season. And and that's the key, I think, is to look not just where the bad news is, but try and join the dots to see, okay, if it's a rising tide or fall on one side, or rise on the other, What's on the other side of the seesaw? Where can I put my money and try and capitalise on it? And yes, that is a high-level skill, but hopefully um, the pearls of wisdom that we've shared today has been able to break it down and articulate in a really simple, easy-to-follow way where people can make some money because that's really what our purpose is, is to help our, our ecosystem make money.
1: Absolutely. Two sides to every coin, AB. Thank you very much for your time today. That was awesome. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.